everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. It is officially over. The summer camps that I've been working at this summer are officially over. Now, albeit, I only worked three weeks of summer camps at only half days at a time, but those half days mixed in, of course, with my regular teaching schedule made for some really long work weeks. I think there was a 13-day work week as well as two 10-day work weeks. Now, at the beginning of the summer, I was preparing myself for that because in between the 12 and the 10 work week, I was supposed to go see Madonna and that didn't happen. So I feel as though that's what officially killed my summer. And as nervous as I was about working with a younger demographic doing aerial, I have to confess at the end of those weeks, I had a great time working with those youngsters. Growing up, I didn't know participating in circus activities was a thing. It wasn't until my late 20s I discovered it. So I'm actually really happy to be able to help my next generation, a younger generation, get that exposure, help them find something active that they enjoy to do that's not exactly a sport. Something creative and something physical, those are wins in my book. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Crossed Connections and debuted on December 10th, 1979. The episode was written by Don Ballack and directed by Michael Landon. It's a first for Walnut Grove, but not the Prairieverse. We open with the installation of a telephone wire with zero safety protocols in place, however. As the camera pulls back, we find ourselves inside the mercantile. Caroline and Allie G, who are twinning, are stepping outside. Caroline thanking Allie G for coming along to help her pick out a new fabric. Outside, Caroline exclaims how amazing it is Walnut Grove is getting its own telephone line. However, according to Allie G, she has no idea how anyone can afford it. She mentions how her mom in Minneapolis has a telephone, but is left wondering who is she going to call, and refers to this whole telephone thing as a foolish waste of money. Inside Nellie's restaurant and hotel, the switchboard is being installed Harriet is at the helm. They're testing the new line, and Harriet is told when it buzzes to answer it. And answering it, she does, by yelling into the mouthpiece. And sadly, that man that was climbing up the telephone pole and installing the wire, I bet he wishes he had safety gear on at this moment as he falls to the ground with a scream. Back at the switchboard and coming in from the receiver, we hear... Why are you yelling at me? Harriet is informed she's speaking a little loudly. No surprise. And she needs to speak in a more clear and normal voice. Once it's confirmed the line is working properly, the installation crew inquires to Harriet and Nellie if they have any more questions. They both say no. 
And just before leaving, the installation team tells Harriet that they have quite a moneymaker on their hands with telephone orders pouring in all over the state. He then says goodbye and leaves. Harriet Olson turns and greets Caroline and Allie G. She begins by going on about this new modern technology and boasts how she brought it to Walnut Grove. You know, like that time she was excited that she brought in Walnut Grove's very first newspaper? Remember what happened there? Harriet inquires if Caroline or Allie G are going to get a phone installed. They both say no. Caroline admits it's a little costly for them. With that, they try to make a very quick exit without being drawn further into the conversation. With them gone, Harriet confesses, I can't believe them. I swear, I will never understand that woman. It's one thing to be poor. It's another thing to admit it. Nellie comes into the room. Agreeing with her mother, she states, The poor are just ignorant, mother. That's why they'll never amount to anything. Harriet, feeling a little relieved, admits, oh, That's so true. Thank heavens we're rich. Meanwhile, it looks like the bank has reopened and it's getting its own telephone. Laura and Albert are there, watching the installation process. They're waiting there, hoping that a call will come in. However, the new bank manager tells them to scram, but does invite them back after school, and he'll go ahead and make a call to Mankato, and they can talk then. Excited, they both say thank you to Mr. Anderson. As they leave, they bump into Doc Baker, who is entering the bank, and he says, why, hello, Bill. We also find out in this moment that Doc Baker is going to get a telephone installed in his office tomorrow. The conversation then turns to some pharmaceutical stocks that Bill Anderson has inherited. And from there, somehow we also find out that Jonathan Garvey had also invested in the same pharmaceutical stock and has made some money. And that's why Doc Baker is there. He wants to buy in. However, Bill Anderson shakes his head and informs him that it's going to crash soon. Doc Baker inquires how he knows this, and Bill Anderson states, In my business, you learn to see the signs. Doc Baker tips his hat to Bill Anderson and tells him thank you for saving him some money, and in the same breath, tells Bill to stop by the office after work and he'll give him something for the heartburn. Bill Anderson inquires how Doc Baker knew. And Doc Baker, it's my business to learn to see the signs. We cut to Caroline and Allie G returning to the Garvey estate. Off to the side are some telephone poles. Allie G mentions how ugly these posts are and how they are popping up everywhere. This is when she notices that there is a wire going right to her house. And upon entering the house, we hear from Allie G, what in the world? There's a telephone in the house. As she is examining the box, Jonathan Garvey and Charles step out from the bedroom. Surprise! Allie G realizes she has been tricked. 
Caroline admits that she had picked out that cloth pattern weeks ago. We find out Jonathan Garvey, with some of that money he made from those pharmaceutical stocks, had a telephone installed. And now, Allie G can talk with her mother. Jonathan Garvey inquires if she likes it. Allie G responds with, it's expensive. But we hear from Jonathan Garvey, that's not what I asked. Cut back to Bill Anderson, banker, who is calling up Mankato. And while this conversation is taking place, we cut to the switchboard and guess who is already abusing the new technology? By eavesdropping. You don't even really need a guess. Bill, on his end of the line, wants to place a bet on a horse. A $10 bet, that is. He also wants to keep it on the DL from his wife. Nellie walks in on her mother, not being a helpline operator. Mother! Harriet waves her arms around, trying to get Nellie to quiet down. And when the conversation finally ends, Nellie states, Listening in on other people's conversations? That's awesome. Just kidding. She takes the moment to scold her mother, but Harriet tells Nellie to shut up. Her words, not mine. Am I running this telephone exchange or not? At that moment, the switchboard rings. It's a call from Minneapolis. Harriet connects it to the Garvey estate, but once again, does not hang up. Over at the Garvey estate, Allie G answers the phone. Mother, mother, can you hear me? Life is perfect, never better. She tells her mom how Andy is doing well in school, three A's, two B's, and a C. I guess Andy does a lot better without his mom as the teacher. Off to the side, Charles acknowledges that's really something. The telephone, not Andy's grades. Jonathan Garvey offers the use of the phone any time the Ingalls need to use it. And Charles, who am I going to call? Allie G calls Jonathan Garvey. Allie G calls Jonathan Garvey over to the phone. He holds on to that receiver and then very quickly hands it back. With Allie G back on the line talking with her mother, her mom then begins to share the news that a herald stopped by the house the other day. And in that moment, Allie G goes silent. And trying for a quick recovery, Allie G says that she'll call her ma back later. At which point her mother responds, oh, you can't talk now, and instructs her daughter to call her when she's alone. Allie G responds with, will do, and it's good to hear your voice. We get a lingering shot of Allie G's face as she puts the receiver back on the hook, as she continues to process the news she has just heard. Jonathan Garvey comments that that was quick, but Allie G says that her mother had something to do with a cake, and that her and her mom will talk later. Jonathan Garvey notices the change in his wife's demeanor. In fact, we all can, because she is a little visibly shaken. But she covers up that by simply stating that she is so excited about having the phone in her house 
that she just can't hide it. Jonathan Garvey caresses his wife's face and tells her she deserves this surprise. At that moment, Charles and Jonathan Garvey announce they have to head back to the mill to finish up an order for delivery, and Caroline also leaves. As soon as the guests have left and the door is closed, that telephone rings again. We cut back over to the switchboard. Harriet Olsen is connecting the call, and of course, as we find out more about Harold. Allie G inquires to her mother that Harold is not coming to Walnut Grove. She tells her daughter the last thing Harold would like to do is interfere with your life. We're informed that Harold apparently looks good for spending the last 18 years in prison. We also find out this Harold and Allie G were once married, but only for three weeks. At which point, Harriet Olson puts the receiver down and bolts to share this information with Nellie. It's the end of the school day. Andy is the first one out of the school, followed by Albert and Laura. Laura and Albert invite Andy back over to the bank to talk on their phone. But that's when Andy announces, oh, we got one of those too. Laura is thrilled to hear about this news as they are walking past Nellie's restaurant. Nellie is out on the porch. It's almost as if she's been waiting there. Seeing the trio pass, that's when she strikes. Um, I heard the good news. Andy, of course, believes she's talking about the telephone. And that's when Nellie continues. I mean, about your mother's first husband being out of jail. This stops everyone in their tracks. Andy calls it a dumb lie, but Nellie admits how her mother listened in on the conversation. And while no one seems upset about this invasion of privacy, they all call Nellie's remarks lies. And when Andy says he's going to go tell his pa, Nellie just encourages him to do so. At which point, Andy bolts, and Nellie wishes Laura a good day. We find ourselves over at Nellie's restaurant and hotel. Mr. Olson is opening up a crate as Jonathan Garvey opens the door, inquiring Harriet's location. He points to the office, and in the office, somebody planned ahead. There's popcorn for this exchange. As Jonathan Garvey enters the office, and begins, how dare Harriet spread vicious lies about his wife. Hearing this accusation, Harriet confesses, I do not lie, which we all know is a lie. And in the same breath, Harriet once again confesses about eavesdropping on a private conversation. But again, everyone seems more upset about what was exchanged in that conversation. Jonathan Garvey leaves to go and check the source of this story. Mr. Olson at the time steps into the room and calls out Harriet's behavior and threatens her about listening in on other people's conversations. It's about time somebody did. And Harriet puts her foot down and says the telephone was her idea. 
You run the store. I run the switchboard. She continues by professing, I didn't do anything wrong. Seriously, her words. Alice Garvey is the liar, not me. I wasn't married before. Only engaged. And even then, her ex-fiance did come to town. And Harriet didn't even bother to tell Mr. Olson. Mr. Olson, however, taking one for the team, professes, well, what other idiot would ever marry you? Promptly leaving the room, Harriet Olson starts to tear up and calls him insensitive. But she immediately drops that when the switchboard rings. Back over at the Garvey estate, Allie G is busy adding some carrots to a roast she's about to put into the oven. And that's when Jonathan Garvey arrives at home. Andy is sent to his room. He's told that the adults need to talk. And when the door is shut, Allie G inquires, is it school troubles? She's informed, no, it's not. And that's when Jonathan Garvey drops the bomb. Who's Harold? Allie G takes a moment and then confesses everything. And truth be told, I can't tell if Jonathan Garvey is upset about Allie G's previous marriage or that he has to apologize to Harriet for calling her a liar. And still, while Jonathan Garvey is upset with Allie G about a previous marriage that she kept secret, no one is mad at Harriet for listening in on a private conversation. Allie G continues by stating she was afraid to share this information. It happened so long ago, and she was a young girl and how the marriage only lasted three weeks until she found out what he truly was. Jonathan Garvey only hears half of this and assumes much, much worse, and then inquires, Well, who else have you been with? This questioning receives a slap across the face from Allie G, and slightly stunned, Jonathan Garvey leaves the house. The next day... At the Garvey estate, it's very quiet. There are one sentence, conversations, questions, and one word responses. Feeling uncomfortable, Andy announces that he is heading out to school. On route to school, Laura and Albert catch up with Andy, and their first question is, what did Andy's father say to Harriet and Nellie the other day? Andy responds, by bolting away. The two look at one another, respond that this is unlike Andy, and then chase after him. And when they finally catch up, Andy confesses it's all true. That Harriet Olsen was indeed eavesdropping on a private conversation. Oh, and that his mom was previously married. Andy makes the request to be left alone and bolts again. Laura and Albert state, Harriet and Nellie are the meanest people they know. They always seem to be trying to hurt everyone. And while Laura resorts to her usual call for violence, punch in the nose, Albert says, I have a better idea. He then pulls Laura along into the plan without telling Laura what the plan is. 
We cut to the Walnut Grove Bank. Bill Anderson receives the news that he won $7 from that horse bet. After hanging up the line, Laura and Albert show up. Albert starts to talk about his savings and how 2% isn't much. And is there a way to make a withdrawal to try to make more? Bill Anderson explains he doesn't know how Albert would do it. And Albert, leaning forward a little bit, announces, You could place a bet for me on the horse races. Bill Anderson is shocked his secret is revealed because he proclaims he has never told anyone. Albert looks over at the phone. You ever talk about it on the telephone? Bill Anderson replies with a yes. As Albert name drops Harriet, the telephone rings. And as Bill Anderson answers it and starts to talk about paperwork, he stops and says, Gesundheit, into the receiver. The person on the other says he didn't sneeze, and Bill responds, it wasn't me. The conversation is completed, and Bill Anderson hangs up the phone and mentions how somebody sneezed on the line. As Albert explains how Harriet Olson has hay fevers, Bill Anderson, in a huff, is ready to exit the building and head over to that switchboard. And seeing this in front of him, Albert sets his plan in motion. I've got a better way to catch her and teach her a lesson. And while Laura complains how the two of them are going to be late for school, Albert closes the bank door to tell Bill Anderson the plan. At the Garvey estate, Allie G is receiving one-word responses from Jonathan Garvey as she cleans the kitchen until she decides to stop and then confront her passive-aggressive man-child husband. Their arguing brings Andy, tears in his eyes, out of his room. Stop it! Can't you please stop it? And then slams the door. Realizing what they're doing to their son, they announce a trial separation. And by trial separation, I mean Jonathan Garvey plans to accompany Charles on a delivery trip to Northfield. Fork. We are back at that bank. The plan to get Harriet is underway. Bill Anderson asks to be connected to a number in Mankato. And when the call is picked up, he announces he has the juiciest tip of my life. His words, not mine. Bill Anderson mentions that pharmaceutical stock mentioned earlier, the one that was bound for bursting, crashing. Speaking into the receiver, Bill Anderson announces it's about to go through the roof, and he wants to put 5K on it. He claims it's going to be worth 10 times that by the end of the month. And really trying to drive this point, he yells, just buy it! He then puts the receiver down and walks away and looks out the window. And what does he see, dear listeners? We all see Harriet Olson make a mad dash from the restaurant to the mercantile. Bullseye. This is when Bill Anderson sends Albert out of the building. We cut to Nellie at the switchboard, who is called upon by Bill to dial up 
that same Mankato number. And hiding behind the curtains is Albert. And when that call is connected, Albert walks in and catches Nellie hanging on the telephone. She claims she wasn't doing anything. No surprise. Albert makes the announcement he has something to show Nellie. And Nellie, for some reason, decides she's interested enough and puts her hand out, but doesn't pay attention to what is happening as Albert places a mouse in her hand. Needless to say, she leaves the room in a number of high-pitched shrieks. And hearing the coast is clear, Bill Anderson tells Mankato to cancel that pharmaceutical stock order. This time, as Bill Anderson places the receiver back on the hook, he looks at Laura and admits he should feel a little guilty, but doesn't. We are back over at the Olsen's Mercantile, up in the primary bedroom. Harriet Olsen opens the door, followed by Mr. Olsen, who is once again scolding her for her eavesdropping. He also does not seem interested in investing any money into these pharmaceutical stocks. Harriet Olsen heads over to her dresser, opens it, and then proceeds to take out her own savings to make an investment. Mr. Olsen tries to get her to reconsider. A fool and their money are soon parted. Harriet turns to him. Are you calling Bill a fool? As Mr. Olsen is watching Harriet count her money, he inquires why she keeps it in the house. And Harriet confesses, I don't trust banks. She continues by confessing her love for money and how she wants to be rich. You think I want to spend the rest of my life in this village? She continues by offering to sell her half of the mercantile to Mr. Olsen. As she continues to count her money, she makes the announcement how she has to head out to Mankato. And Mr. Olsen is a little confused. Uh, we have a telephone. You can wire money there. And Harriet's not for this idea. And she proceeds to explain her fears of doing that. Basically, she's describing what she's currently doing with the telephone. Looking at his wife, Mr. Olsen comments, Oh, I thought you were one of a kind. Before leaving the room, he announces how he'll head out and get Harriet's buckboard ready. And with that, Harriet bolts out of town. We cut to Charles and Jonathan Garvey heading out with their delivery. Jonathan Garvey is continuing to share the update on his current situation. Uh, you think you know someone, and then it all just falls to pieces. This is when we find out, after two plus seasons, that Jonathan and Allie G have been married for 15, 16 years. Charles protests, that's silly to throw all those years away because something happened before you met her. But Jonathan Garvey is hung up on the fact that Ali G didn't share this. Shaking his head ever so slightly, Charles admits she's still the same person that you've been crazy for after all these years and concludes that we've all kept secrets at one time in our life. Jonathan Garvey, with a pouty face, admits that he has not 
ever kept a secret. Leading to Charles to look Jonathan Garvey up and down and say, man, I haven't appreciated you enough. I didn't know you were perfect. Why are you wasting your time being a farmer? You could have been a saint. The two arrive in North Fork to drop off that delivery. They split their funds. And this is when Jonathan Garvey announces, uh, we're close to Minneapolis. Maybe we should stop in and visit Allie G's mom and how it might help him process what's going on. Charles, without hesitating, simply says, let's go. And I have to say, I hope he sends a telegram to Caroline letting her know that he's going to be gone a little bit longer. We find ourselves at Jonathan Garvey's mother-in-law's place. It's a very exquisite house and supper. She's very excited to see Jonathan and have a little extra company with Charles along, but she can tell something is amidst. And this is when Jonathan Garvey says it. It's Harold. Allie G's mom says how she felt wrong by keeping it from him. However, it looks like he took the news rather well. I always knew you would. Jonathan Garvey, of course, is a little curious. What's he look like? And according to Allie G's mom, at the current moment, Harold is a pitiful sight. We find out, once upon a prairie, Harold was a boarder in the house for many, many years, and he watched Allie G grow up. She continues by informing us Harold always had money, and although he could pretty much live anywhere, he chose to stay there because he worshipped Allie G. And it was no surprise that when she became of age, he proposed marriage. However, it was shortly after the nuptials, they found out he was a gambler. And now, he's currently pulling 12-hour shifts as a bartender at the local bar. Hearing exactly what he wanted to hear, Jonathan Garvey, not so subtly, announces, I'm new to this city. I'm going to go take a look around. Charles, you stay here. Of course, we find Jonathan Garvey standing outside of the Good Time Saloon. He makes his way inside and has a seat. And this is when the bartender heads over and asks, What'll it be? Jonathan Garvey orders a beer and watches as Harold heads back behind the counter to pour some suds. Jonathan Garvey can see Harold is a broken man. Time passes and the doors are closing, and Harold announces it's closing time. Jonathan Garvey, being the only one left inside, inquires if he can finish his beer, but also offers to buy Harold a drink, which is accepted. The two men share a drink, and Jonathan Garvey introduces himself as John Gifford, with Harold introducing himself as Harold. The two of them make small talk, until Jonathan Garvey inquires if Harold was ever married. Harold says yes, once, with Jonathan Garvey slash John Gifford admitting that he is not, but maybe one day it will happen 
one day I'll be lucky. Harold, I was that lucky once, but I let it slip through my fingers 18 years ago. He continues by saying he was a young gentleman with the world in his pocket, but the world was not enough. He was a greedy gambler, and he never told Alice what he did. He covered it up by saying he was a property owner, a landlord, and after just their first week of marriage, he lost it all. And in his desperation to return to that lifestyle, he ended up in a scheme to rob a bank. Oh, thankfully, he wasn't tagging along with the James brothers. And, well, that didn't work out. And that's how he spent 18 years in prison. Harold continues that he didn't tell Alice the truth in the beginning because he was afraid of losing her. But he ended up losing her anyway. Harold continues, after he was released, he heard Alice was happily married and had a son. And I can't help but wonder if that man knows how lucky he is. Jonathan Garvey puts his beer down, pays for his drinks, as well as the drinks Harold has been consuming, and also tells him to keep the change and leaves the saloon. Back at Jonathan Garvey's mother-in-law's place, Charles is by the fire as Jonathan enters. And Jonathan Garvey confesses he did go out to meet Harold and had to talk with him. Mostly, he just wanted to see what the man was like. And it's in this moment it finally dawns on Charles. That's why they came all the way to Minneapolis. Jonathan Garvey admits he did want to take a swing at Harold, but seeing him, he's just a tired, beaten-down old man, and repeats the question Harold had asked, wondering if the man who married Alice knows how lucky he is. Charles, looking at Jonathan, does he? And Jonathan Garvey responds with, yes, I do know how lucky I am. Speaking of lucky, back at Walnut Grove, Mr. Olson is trying to read his newspaper over Nellie's piano playing. Lowering the paper, Mr. Olson tells Nellie she sounds awful at the piano, causing Nellie to storm off. That's when the door opens and Harriet Olson has returned. Ooh, and what a sight. She looks like she's been ridden hard and put away wet. And by that, I mean, she's been crying. She's a mess. And surprise, not surprise, her investment is worthless. She continues to sob as she limps to find a seat. I'm ruined. At which point, with a smile, Mr. Olson reminds her none of this would have happened if you hadn't been eavesdropping, snooping, invading privacy. Through her tears, Harriet confesses she knows and that Mr. Olson was right. And to add insult to injury, Harriet proclaims how thankful she is she still has half of the store. At which point, Mr. Olson reminds her, no, it's all his now. There's lots more sobbing and we hear, how am I supposed to pay my bills? 
Mr. Olson suggests you can get a job, which causes more tears to fall from Harriet's face. It's the end of another school day. Andy is leading the pack as they are all passing the mercantile, and we find Harriet Olson doing some heavy lifting. It looks as though she found a job working for the mercantile. Delivery, cleaning, pretty much everything she was doing before, but this time as an employee. And to celebrate his new bit of free time, Mr. Olson announces he's going fishing. We find ourselves back over at the Garvey estate. Allie G steps out onto the porch along with Andy as they hear a wagon approach. As Jonathan Garvey brings the wagon to a stop, there's silence. He makes his way down from the seat, removes his hat, and apologizes to Allie G for his behavior and asks her for forgiveness. Allie G embraces her husband and proclaims she has never missed anybody so much in my life. As the announcement is made that dinner is ready, Jonathan Garvey heads over to the telephone pole and utilizing his brute strength proceeds to take that telephone pole and knock it over, disconnecting the outside world from the Garvey estate. With that, Jonathan Garvey announces, now we can eat. And together, the Garvey family heads inside for food. I believe we've already talked about the telephone and I'm not too interested in pharmaceutical stocks. So we're going to get right to reviewing and rating this episode. This is episode 12, which means we are roughly halfway through season six. And once again, with Harriet, with some sort of technology, finds a way to make the lives of Walnut Grove residents unbearable. It all started with that talking machine. And albeit Harriet Olsen didn't do anything directly with the talking machine, she just managed to purchase it for her daughter. With the newspaper, she managed to convince her second cousin, twice removed from her mother's side, to give her a job as a reporter, which led to her meddling into the lives of the Garveys, as well as many other folks around Walnut Grove. And here, it's the exact same thing. Harriet's using that phone to find out whatever kind of drama she can and proceeds to air it out for everyone to hear. And who are the main casualties of it this time around? Well, just like before, it's the Garveys. You know, I've seen Caroline and Harriet have a few exchange of words, but I want Ali G and Harriet to have a few exchange of words. And this is what I believe our second time we've had to deal with marital discord. Remember that time they almost got divorced in season four? Shortly after they were first introduced? Are the Garveys really that happy together or are they just staying together for Andy's sake? I know, that's a rude question to ask, but you have to wonder. But one thing we don't have to wonder about is this week's Little House moment, which goes to Jonathan Garvey as he talks with Harold as Harold closes up the bar. The only connection between these two men is Ali G. 
And while Jonathan Garvey listens to Harold's story, he realizes the man isn't a threat at all. In fact, Harold, aside from the prison time, a rather honorable man. He's aware Ali G was remarried, and the only way he knows about this, of course, is by checking in with his own mother-in-law, leading Harold to make zero attempts to interject himself into Ali G's life once again. He's well aware that he'll no longer have that life he briefly held on to, and Jonathan Garvey realizes he has to hold tight onto the life he does have. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. I hate to admit it, these episodes are really starting to become formulaic. Shortly after an episode begins, something new is introduced, which causes the world of Walnut Grove to be upended, at which point the story usually splits into two directions, storyline A and storyline B, one being a little more comical than the other. There's some mixing of the storylines because, again, it has to relate back to that newer element that was introduced into the beginning. And then finally, we get our resolution of storyline A as well as the conclusion of storyline B. Example one, Preacher takes a wife. Anna Craig is introduced. From there, we have Reverend Alden on this pursuit of happiness and love. And while he works to remain true to that and his calling, Storyline B, a.k.a. Harriet sticks her nose where it doesn't belong, those two storylines once again intervene with the introduction of Dean Russell Harmon. Same thing could be said with Annabelle. While the circus comes to town and Mr. Olson is dealing with his feelings of finding his estranged sister, the kids, Laura, I should say, manages to use the setting of the circus to tell her own story which was essentially keep your hands off Almanzo. So from circuses arriving in town to new love to the telephone, like I said, these episodes are becoming a little more systematic. And again, we've already had marital discourse between Ali G and Jonathan Garvey, and we've already seen Harriet Olsen a few times take advantage of something for her own, I'm gonna say amusement, just because it's the first word that comes to mind. And that is why we are going to give this episode, Cross Connections, a 4.25 bonnet rating. We've seen the story of Ali G and Jonathan Garvey having a bump in their relationship. We've seen Harriet intentionally use technology for her own advantage and sequentially dealing with the fallout from those choices, as well as very much so catching on the outline of these Little House on the Prairie episodes. I would say our biggest takeaways from the episode are, one, we find out the Garveys have been married for about 15 years, Allie G's mom lives in Minneapolis, and Walnut Grove has entered, quote unquote, the modern day by finally getting a telephone line. And those are just some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And of course, I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with Love at Gmail and Instagram is how you can reach out to me. Those of you who have left ratings and reviews on your platforms of choice, thank you. It has definitely helped 
getting the word out on this podcast. Not so long ago, I was averaging maybe 200 listens a week. Now, that has more than doubled. So, again, thank you. As always, that Spotify playlist continues to grow, as is the Instagram account. Next week, we cover Season 6, Episode 13 of Little House on the Prairie, Angry Heart. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care.